Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Last week we started talking about um, the book of Ephesians. And we kind of made it through an introduction, kind of made it through the first chapter. And I wanted to remind you of of the, the setting in Ephesians. And going way back, like ancient history, the city of Ephesus was believed to have been established by magical Amazonian women. Put that picture back up there. <laughs> I think we jumped the gun a little bit last week, but it's interesting that you, you look today at the idea of Wonder Woman, and you think, how did they come up with that stuff? See, we don't realize, what is her name? Diana. All right, so the city of Ephesus, in legend, was said to have been established and developed <laughs> by Amazons, which were women, and just so you know how this filters down into the church, it was a, it was a culture, and they, they had a huge temple down there in Ephesus, the Temple of Diana, and there was all types of ritualistic, perverted things going on down there. And not that Diana is bad, and not that Wonder Woman is bad. I think it's kind of been redeemed for our modern day, but just so that you understand the backstory here and how this stuff gets filtered into our modern society... That's believed. You can look it up. Go look it up as far as Amazon establishing Ephesus. So they would have had their goddess Diana that they would go down to the temple priests and do all kind of perverted things with to get power. And it was a society that basically said that women were above men. Now, it's not that men are above women. That's, it, it's a perversion of a perversion. Because when Paul talks about men and women, he says, submit yourselves one to another. Now, men, you do it this way, and women, you do it this way, but it's a mutual submission. So they tipped the scales back around, and this Diana culture had women basically making men subservient to them. Now, you think about Timothy's church was in Ephesus. Timothy was the pastor of a church in Ephesus. So when Paul writes to Timothy and he's saying, you need to deal with this, these women speaking out in your church tell them to go talk to their husbands at home, tell them to cover themselves up. He was addressing a Diana culture where women were trying to, you know, dominate man, men and making men subservient. And there's probably a cultural nuance that we don't really understand that Paul was addressing with Timothy in that type of society back then. So like we read the Bible and we apply our modern understanding to it without taking into account context and audience. The audience was a bunch of people who were going down to the temp, to the, the, the Diana temple for sexual perversion to gain power. So, you know, it's interesting. When, and that's kind of part of my point of what I'm looking at in going through the book of Ephesians is that you have to do some digging. Now, you can't just read the Bible and throw out all cultural context and think that it applies to our modern society. There are some non-negotiables, but there are some when he's dealing with cultural issues, you have to put those in the right place. And it takes time, it takes digging, it takes teaching. That's why we gather and do things like this so that we, we better understand, right? 
We better understand the way that uh, it's presented. So anyway, moving on to the rest of Ephesians. Last week, we looked at Ephesians. Y'all open your Bibles. You can flip over your iPhones with me if you would. Let's look at back Ephesians, uh, or if you're an Android user, <laughs> which is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> That's an example. The cultural issue is an example of, of, of Paul addressing something with Pastor Timothy. But so we look at this, right? And we look at in Ephesians 1, and I'm just going to briefly, because didn't, we didn't quite make it to this in my notes last week, but I wanted to make sure we cover this going forward. Because what you're going to see is that the context is Paul addressing the Israelites and now this way of God bringing everything together in Christ so that also the Gentiles can now be saved. And he's talking about those that were foreknew, foreknown and those that were predestined in the context of Israelites and Gentiles, not who's in and who's out. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on how that's accurate. First off, when you get into Ephesians 2 and 3, now you, ask, you might ask why this is important. I'm going to tell you why it's important. Because there is heresy that says God predetermined ahead of time who could be saved, and he created some to go to hell. You ever been taught that? Now, the problem that that, that, that is is it negates Scripture. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That, he died, that Christ was a sin offering for the sin of the entire world. Forgiveness is all-inclusive. Salvation are for those who believe. And even in Ephesians 1, he says, after you believed, then you received the Spirit. It wasn't after God sovereignly decided to save you. It's actually improper context to make this about who's in and who's out instead of Israelites and Gentiles. All right? So in Ephesians 1, now I, this is a little technical, but I, I, you know, I feel it's necessary to cover because... Some people walk around believing, well, I can't be saved. I wonder if I can be saved. It's a very real thing. It's a very real thing because they're told that it's only the elect that are going to be saved. And it's like, okay, let's look at where the term elect came from and chosen. It's always a term for the Israelites. God chose ahead of time to bless the entire world through Abraham, which out of him came the Israelite lineage and ultimately so that salvation could be for everyone. And so this, it's being tipped here away from the chosen people were just the Israelites to now salvation is open to everyone because now God is bringing everything together in Christ. Now in this fullness of time, as he calls it, everything is coming together now in Christ. So now you Jews are going to have to get used to the idea that Gentiles can be saved as well. That's the, if, you think, if you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, in that context, you understand those things. Have you ever been confused about Romans 9, 10, and 11? Especially if you've been taught heavy sovereignty or heavy improper sovereignty. If you re, go back and read, that's part of your homework this, re, this week. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11 in the context of God defining that now salvation is available through Christ, but he's addressing Jew and Gentile or Israelite and Gentile. It, you know, it's tricky to say the word Jew because we think of Jews these days, but what we're talking about 
is the lineage through which God protected and preserved his chosen elect people to get the Messiah into the earth. And then that now once the Messiah is in the earth, salvation is open to all who will believe. And now those that believe and come in through Christ are now the true children, the true children of Abraham. Amen? So, in Ephesians 1, 4, and we're going to be in the uh, New King James. Let me jump over to the New King James. Ephesians 1, 4. You ready back there? All right. So, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of sons. All right? The us is where people get confused. Some people say it's only for the elect. It's only for the ones that God said in his foreknowledge would be saved. And the word foreknew is significant here as well. So jump back. So remember that phrase, having predestined us us to the adoption of sons. So we're going to deal with who is the us, and let's put this phrase, adoption of sons, in proper context. So when you're dealing with a specific issue like this, and you're going to build a doctrine on it, you got to go deal with the other areas where it's mentioned, specifically predestined, okay? Y'all with me? Y'all just kind of let me Bible geek out here for a minute, but I'm telling you, there are some people that it's gonna, you're just going to change your life. All right, so jump back over to Romans 8. I heard one preacher talking. He said just to make him feel better, he wants to develop an app that when you're scrolling in your Bible, it sounds like pages are turning. <laughs> Romans 8, 29. Now watch this. Remember, predestined us unto the adoption of sons. Some people have taken that us to apply to however it's applied, but we're going to make the us make sense here. You ready for that? Are you following me? Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, those he justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, you kind of have to do some fancy exegetical work to get this to say that this only applies to the people that God ahead of time decided who would be saved. In proper context, it actually is this. Watch this. So Romans 8, 29, and then jump just the next chapter. Romans 9, we're going to start in verse 1. I tell you the truth, in Christ I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. So, to whom pertain the adoption? So, it's taught that those that God foreknew, he predestined to be adopted. And it's put into the ether out there that, oh, let's just say that that's about who God decided he would save. This, in context, is saying 
that those who he predestined for adoption were the Jews, were the Israelites. Do you see that? All right, so jump forward to Romans 11. Now, it's not saying that the Israelites would be saved. It's almost cultural language talking about how God predestined that through the Jews salvation would come, but now everything's turning in Christ. And the everything turning in Christ is where we're about to go in Ephesians 2 and 3. So look at Romans eleven two. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture of Elijah, the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel saying, they have killed your prophets and they, and it, so whom he foreknew is a direct reference to the Israelites. This really excites me. Because there are people confused about whether they can be saved or not. There are groups of people that take these types of scriptures and impose a questioning of other people's salvation based on their performance and their behavior. If you've ever been under the religious thumb of a mindset that says, you might not be saved because your behavior is not reflecting what I think a saved person should look like. Maybe you're not even part of the group that can be saved. That's a cow that I just am really excited to slaughter. (laughs) All right. So having that in the proper context, let's go back over to Ephesians. Y'all with me? Now, did that, some of you that have been taught in those kinds of areas, uh, I realize it's like maybe an entire lifetime of a system been developed in your thinking is not going to (laughs) necessarily be undone in five minutes. But you can clearly see that the application of foreknew is to the Israelites, all right? So then that's what, that's what he's doing in Ephesians is he's addressing this mindset that it's only, salvation is only of and for the Jews. So he's talking to a group of people to help them understand Christ is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets coming to the resolution that salvation is now here. And oh, by the way, it's for everybody. And this is what it looks like, and this is what it sounds like. See, a new covenant is being explained. It's being presented. You can almost look at Paul as a Moses-type figure where he's laying out the tenets of this new covenant. This is how this new covenant is formed. This is what upholds this new covenant. This is how you get into this covenant. Moses, for years, did that. He gave... he. He announced that there would be a covenant. He announced the entrance of it with the Ten Commandments. He announced how it would be upheld and their part of it. And he oversaw the fulfillment and the, and the priestly order of that covenant. You almost look at it as Paul's kind of doing the same thing. He's laying out. This is the first time that they've heard about this. It's brand new. To look of salvation as by grace, as a righteousness that is not your own, that is given to you. It's a radical concept to be accepted by God based on some other human's effort rather than yours. And it took a lot of undoing to get people to realize it this way. So he had to go back into and dress all the cultural nuance of the Israelites being the chosen people to 
That was for a purpose. That was a predestined purpose. God foreknew the Israelites for the purpose of bringing Christ into the earth. Then we get to Ephesians 2 because then what, so what he does is he reveals that now salvation is ultimately revealed in Christ. And this is what, this is the purpose of bringing everything together in Christ. And he starts talking about the establishment of the church and how the church works together and how God is reflecting himself in the, the mystery throughout all the ages is that Christ now dwells in you. And what he's doing in you is he's binding you together with a family that used to be the Israelites based on a covenant, but now it's a family of faith, specifically faith in Christ, specifically faith in that Christ upholds your place in this covenant. That's why over and over and over they would step up and they would say, well, are, are you saying that we should just throw out the law? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that part is fulfilled. Now we're moving into in Christ. Are you saying that we should continue in sin? He's like, God forbid. Why would, what? What are you talking about? No. We're talking about the establishment of a new covenant. We're talking about God placing himself in people that believe in Christ and building a church together to reveal his ultimate plan. Not that these protected Israelites throughout generations would get a redeemed physical land, but that God would redeem mankind in Christ. I mean, tell you, it's a big deal. Man, y'all should be throwing chairs by now. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to go too deep, but I'm just, I mean, it's like we need to go deep on some of this establishment of the new covenant sometimes to understand not just how to see it from our perspective, but to understand how big of a radical shift it was in their thinking away from what they, the Israelites, the ones carrying the authentic word of God, representing the one true God, everything changed for them. And for some reason, a whole bunch of the modern church is still thinking like the pre-cross Israelites, us and them. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, and I'm just going to read because it is a master class of a presentation of the gospel. So, this is your other homework assignment. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11 in context of Jew, Gentile, not who's in and who's out, and then memorize Ephesians chapter 2. <laughs> Ready? Here we go. And you say me. me. All right. Now, we did this a little bit last week. You know, you can do what's called expository teaching where you go through and you expose every nuance I really just want to read through this because it deals with every point that Paul just addressed with this whole predestined, those whom he foreknew, the Israelites. You guys need to change your thinking because really what it's all about is God protected them so he could get Christ here. Now that Christ is here in this time, he's pulling everything together in him. So now expect this to happen, which is God has given his power to the church. He's building his church together to redeem all of mankind and to build this new heaven and this new earth that goes beyond just the limited physical Israelite thinking of we get to have some new land. All right, so Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you he made alive, say alive. alive. Now, when you go and you read Ephesians, which that's been your homework for a couple of weeks now, 
I pray that you continue to read it. Read it in a different translation now. Uh, go read it in the Greek. If you can do that, you can teach here next week. Uh, but when you go through, you look at every word. How does this apply to me? How, every word is important. How does this apply to me? What was the meaning by this? And let me make sure that I understand it from a big picture perspective rather than I'm just going to lift this one out and I think it might mean this. And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses. Say dead. dead. In which you once a walk, once you in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now see, if you're thinking in terms of saved and not saved versus Jew and Gentile, you miss the point of what he's talking about here. Let's just keep reading. Let's let it speak for itself. Among whom, we're also, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves <clears throat> in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, say, but God. but God. Man, I'm telling you what, when you see that, pay attention. Because when there's a but, it turns what was just said before that, right? Uh, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together. Now, this is not resurrected. The word raised is a authoritative word. It's not a description that you've been resurrected. It's that you have been raised to be a joint heir with Jesus. You now hold the same place in the presence of God that Jesus does as a son. You're not God. You're not the Messiah. You're not the third part in the Trinity. But the man Jesus that came here and conquered sin, conquered temptation, conquered death, rose again and spread his own blood to cleanse that heavenly holy of holies so man could enter into that place as a joint heir, as a son of God, you're in that same position. You've been raised. You've been elevated. You've been adopted. That's why this language adopted is used so much over and over and over. You've been adopted into the family of God as a child with every right that Christ has. That's, that's raised. When you think of raised with Christ, you think of God has made me like Jesus. As he is, so are we in this world. And why? Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show you the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God's a good God. He saved you so that he could be good to you forever. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Now, Understanding of grace. Grace is not just unmerited favor. Grace is not just, you're a dirty sinner, but I'm going to treat you like you're not. That's mercy. Grace is, you're a dirty sinner, I'm going to change you into my righteousness, and I'm going to continue to empower you to live according to how I have changed you. That's grace. So a work that happened in you, an influence within your heart to change you, at your core, to give you a new heart, to cleanse you, to remove your sin from you, to make you righteous where you were dead in your sin, 
Grace has the, it's, it's an influence of God inwardly within you that has changed you. You are now saved, healed, made whole, restored, rescued, kept safe, prospered as this grace works in you. Some of us need to continue to be saved every day. And I don't mean born again. All right? So by grace, you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Some people say that believing is a work and that if you say that you believed and then the result is that you got saved, that you worked believing. And so some people will say, when God's ready for you to be saved, what he'll do is he'll give you some faith to get saved. No, you make the decision. I am master of my domain. God has given me independence and free will on this planet. We are little gods, so to speak. You can choose your destiny. And what you do is you take that and you say, I think I'm going to believe what Jesus did for me. Anyway, again, a little nuance there. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Do you see contextually he's talking about Israel, Gentile, over and over and over, same thing in Romans 8, or Romans 8 9, 10, 11. Um, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The Jews basically believed that. They were the only ones that had the right to hope. Everybody else, no hope for you. There are some Christians that believe that. We're the, ones that, we're the only ones that can hope. The rest of y'all, you're just vessels of wrath that God didn't even love from the beginning. Too bad for you. Amen. <laughs> but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Think about that. He himself is our peace. Who has made both one. Both what? Israelite, Gentile and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body. Now he's going to start talking about the church. Through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Enmity is, is like... That's what happens when you mix oil and water. Oil and water are not enmity, uh, enemies. They are at enmity. They can't mix. Gentiles could not be saved. Now they can. And he preached, uh, and he preached, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. For through him we both 
have access. So apparently he's speaking to people trying to correct this us and them mentality that was there. In fact, it was predestined to be there by God, but now he's putting it in proper context in Christ. For through him, we both have access by one spirit. Now, this one spirit thing, he makes a big deal when we get into the the gifts and the apostleships and all that stuff further on. The one spirit thing he makes a huge deal of. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Again, when it starts, when it, Ephesians 1 talks about that he's talking to the saints. In this, you have to add even a more nuance that he's talking about the Jewish saints, the Israelite saints, because now he's making the distinction, the, the distinction, but with fellow citizens and with saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I, could just, I, I just see it where Paul's laying this out and he starts addressing their cultural issues and they're like, okay, okay, I'm kind of with you. And, and then he goes again, boom, I'm going to hit the hammer again, put it all back on Christ. Christ himself, all of that time that you've spent believing the prophets and reading the prophets and keeping the law and honoring the law, Christ is actually the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. You're part of a holy temple. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Man, I wish the church could get a picture that this is what's happening. That those who have said yes to Christ, regardless of how well they're reflecting that reality are being built together in God, in Christ, to be a holy temple of the Spirit of the living God. It's incredible what he's doing here. So we're going to go through three. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ. So when you hear Paul start talking about his hardships and how he learned something out of it, you have to remember this guy was willing to die for his lineage, the Israelites, he so loved, loved our, uh, yeah, that he wanted to go back to them because he had persecuted them so much. He so wanted, he was willing to risk everything to go to these people and bring them the gospel. That, that's the mindset of Paul when he starts talking about these kinds of things. So you, you can't lift something that he says about suffering out of it and think that it's God making him go through some kind of suffering for holiness You have to put it in context of a guy that says, I don't care what happens to me. These people are my people. I am going to them to tell them the gospel. And and if I go through, I don't care if I'm shipwrecked. I don't care if they kill me. These are light afflictions for this purpose that God has given me. This is in mindset. You have to understand who's speaking and and the, and the, and the, the reason he thinks this way. So let's read through this. I, Paul, a prisoner, prisoner of Christ, I, oh, here we go. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Now, the self-imposed prisoner, I might add. Not, oh, God has decided that I'll be a prisoner for him. I mean, it's like, I'm telling you, I'm locked into this thing. 
I'm not getting out. He's put himself in there and he's thrown away the key. If, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to you or to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which you, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Some say that that's Ephesians. Uh, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me, who am less than all of these of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make, now he's just getting poetic. He's just like, he's feeling it. He's preaching now, you know. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages had been hidden in God who created all things through Christ. Again, he's, he's, he's like, turning it again. He's like, from the beginning, it's been through Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. This is, this is incredible to me. The reason that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. You want to know why Satan rebelled? Because when he heard of God's plan for mankind, he said, uh-uh, I want the glory. You being built and established as part of the family and church of God on this planet is a signal to the angels and fallen angels and demons and whatever else thing out there exists that this is my family. God working through you is showing to all of creation his plan, and that is to reveal himself and establish himself and bring a family together in Christ. The angels are sitting there watching, then like, oh my goodness, this is, this is incredible. You are a testimony to principalities and powers of what God is doing. I mean, it's not just maybe I'm going to get saved. God has a huge purpose in offering salvation. It's for the redemption of all creation. Are you with me? According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. You know, Paul, Paul, Paul is like, there's so much meat that he's writing on this massive context. And then all of a sudden he says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. There's like a little nuance here. You should, it, because all of this is true, in addition to all of this incredible facet of God building this together, you should have boldness. You know, it's like he, he not only tells you what's happening, what God is doing, this is how you should feel about it too. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now he's going to pray for you. And this is my favorite prayer 
for the church. This is my prayer for me. I've just recorded some meditations, and this is the central part of one of the meditations. I'm calling it the 10-minute grace supercharger. I'm going to put it out there. I'll send you guys a link to it. But This prayer, from whom the whole family on earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now, just take this as one of the founding apostles of this church praying for you. This church meaning the body of Christ collectively on this planet, praying for you, that he would grant you according to his riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, specifically his love for you, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. And when you think all the saints, you get this picture, this big body that God is building together in Christ. With all the saints, what is the width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you see what he did there? He's like, all right, this is what God predestined. It was the Israelites that he foreknew that salvation would come. Now, God is bringing to, now he's revealing at this time how that salvation is going to work, and that is through Christ. So, you got to get over the mindset, Israelites, that the, that the Gentiles can't be saved because it's for them too. And the reason it's for them is because God is now building a family, one man unified in him for all who would believe to glorify himself through the body of Christ on this earth, of which all you believers are, and he's building that on this planet. And then he prays that in that, as you find your place in that church, in that body, that you understand and that you experience God's love for you so that you would come to a place of wholeness, that you would come to a place of actually experiencing and allowing God to build and develop his salvation within you by his grace so that you're the joint family, the body of Christ on this planet would be the fulfillment of what God promised from the beginning. I mean, it's a big deal, this church thing we're a part of. You know, we've kind of splintered it out into some walls and a bunch of buildings that down the street from each other. That's not the church. We're the church. Say, I'm the church. Man, my prayer, because it's our love for one another that's going to show the world that we follow God and our unity in Him. You know, this unity, this picture of the entire body of Christ being built into this incredible temple of God on this planet, whatever that's going to look like. It, the signal to all principalities and those on this earth is our unity in this temple being built together. I mean, it's a big deal. Not, and it doesn't mean we need to run down and start having dinners with Baptist pastors. I mean, if that's part of it for you, then that's part of it for you. But it's realizing the body of Christ on this planet is my brother and sister. And as we link arms together, it's for the purpose that God would be glorified on this planet. 
So watch what he does in the next week. He starts addressing behavior. He starts addressing, all right, because all of this is true, the body should look like this. And he does address behaviors and, and performance and all of that kind of stuff. But he puts it in context first. He says, now, so then this is what the church is supposed to look like on this planet. And that should be addressed as well. And so we're going to go over that next week. Sound good? But what I want to leave you with is just the idea that you're part of something big. You're part of a big deal that God is doing on this planet. And you can't separate yourself from others, and you can't let yourself feel separated from others because they might explain something differently than you. Let's look for ways to unite, not divide. Amen? And let's put it all in context of understanding God's doing something through me. I, I need to keep myself away from sin so that my heart is not hardened. Keep myself out of debt. Keep myself in fellowship. If you go to a church and you say, well, I don't feel connected, can I just say, grow up? You're kind of missing the point. You don't feel connected, get connected. You got the same opportunity everybody else has. Well, but I just don't feel, I don't feel at home anywhere. Then you might need to pray about that. There might be something going on deeper than these people don't like you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. It's not just preacher speak for we're, not, we're making an excuse for not doing enough for you. It's a challenge. No, you're part of this body. Now, if God has called you to this body, you're part of this body. Get involved. Be part of what God is doing. Engage in the path of discipleship that God is laying out through the leaders in this place. Those that have opened up their homes to have the life groups. That is probably the biggest way to get connected. Not just so that our church will have programs, but so that we are actually participating in the active work of God building his body together on this planet. I love it when I hear testimonies like, I didn't even know that guy. I like that guy. I went to group with him last week. And I like that guy. Not, not that that's a bad thing. It's just that we don't, we don't get around people enough to realize, I kind of like that guy. Now, you're going to get around people and you're kind of, I kind of don't like that guy. <laughs> that's all right. Just don't be a judgmental twit over it. <laughs> Let them be who they are and you find where you connect. You know, we've always heard the word clicks as if it's bad. Well, it is bad if it's exclusive, but it's okay to find people that you naturally click with and connect with, but just don't sit over here and say, well, nobody's connecting with my click. It's like, my little group over here, we all feel isolated. Don't you feel isolated? Yeah, I feel isolated. Don't you feel? I feel see there, we all feel isolated. You people aren't doing a good job here. God's doing a big thing, and we're part of it. Let's not limit it by our immaturity, by our selfishness, by our intricacies and our quirks. You know, we can start a quirky life group for the quirky people. That's fine. You don't want to be with them, that's fine. We're going to let people be people, and we're going to realize, you know what, there's a bigger picture here. There's a bigger picture than my comfort there's a bigger picture than, than how I think I might feel. Let me, let me give it a shot. Because whatever God's doing, 
in his body collectively on this planet that we are a part of. And we're a part of it together. Not just us, but everybody that calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like when Jesus gave his power to the apostles and John came back to him and said, we found this guy out here casting out devils. We told him to stop. He didn't go to, he didn't go to our church. He didn't graduate from our Bible school. He doesn't read the same translation that we do. Jesus didn't say, go get him and let me teach him for a year. What did Jesus say? If he's not against me, he's for me. Let's let God build his church. Let's be our part, do our part, engage, get over ourselves, let go of the past, move on, move forward, and let him build it through us. Amen? I mean, I'm excited about it. I have a hopeful expectation for the future. I have a hopeful expectation that the body of Christ on this planet can be a powerful force of influence. Not to take over government and business and art and this, but to reflect God's character into everything. I just want to be a part of it. Amen? Well, I think I'm done. Do I need to pose for a picture? Live feed wasn't working. Well, Jesus, we just give you ourselves as an open vessel to live through us, and we, we expand that even bigger to realize that you are built, you're doing the same thing through every other believer on this planet. You are seeking to live through every believer on this planet, and I see myself as part of this house of God that you are building together on this planet. I and we are the temple of the living God on this planet. And you said very specifically for the reason that in the ages to come, you would show us your kindness and the riches of your grace. I just want to be a part of that. I, I, I yield to you. I let myself get out of the way. I, I get my ego out of the way and my judgments about everything. And I just want you to build yourself in me. I just want you to reflect yourself through me. I give you myself, Lord. You know, maybe you're here, you've never said yes to Jesus. You want to be part of this body. You don't know what it's all about, that's fine. But for the first time, you just want to say, I want to say yes to Jesus.